Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 31. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to any visitors that are here with us. So we've been looking at this sermon series on overcoming and overcoming daily challenges. So we've looked at many different things so far. We've looked at anger. We've looked at worry and a lot more. And so one of the greatest challenges is overcoming the world and holding on to our faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, is overcoming the world. How do we do that? It's one thing to overcome these little things in our lives, but overcoming the world is a huge challenge for us. So the book of Hebrews speaks a lot about hope and confidence and assurance in faith. And it talks about how to hold on to our faith. And that's why we're going to look at this book this morning. So we just heard our reading, some very strong language, very strong warning. But the writer here is trying to make a point, as we're going to see as we go through it. So the section we're going to look at is following the reading, which is verses 32 to 39 of the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. So let's open up our Bibles, and let's turn there this morning, of Hebrews, chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 32 and 34. So verses 32 and 30 to 34. So remember the things that he said, the strong warning that he gave. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And so, in these verses, we see the writer calling his audience to remember, 
to remember when they first heard and responded to the good news, the gospel. Go back to those days immediately after you've obeyed the gospel, after you heard that good news, after you were excited and on fire for the Lord. Remember those days. He referred to it as receiving the light. When you received the light, we are in the kingdom of light, as it says in Colossians 3.12. And we are told to be the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. And the Apostle John, in talking about Jesus, said in John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. We received the light when we heard and obeyed the gospel. So the Apostle Paul made it clear that these were Christians that he was addressing. These were saved people of God. He's calling them back to when they first obeyed the gospel. He's calling them back to an earlier time. And so, they were Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. And he's trying to help them to understand, don't shrink back. Don't go to where you are now. Go back to where you were at the beginning. Think of how excited you were. Have that fire again. Be that Christian again. So he mentioned the hardship they faced in the beginning, probably from other Jews. They were publicly exposed to insult, it says. Jesus suffered in the same way, didn't he, when he was on the cross? He was publicly exposed to insult. People passed by and hurled insults at him. And in the same way, these Christians were going through the same thing. You might remember the Jews, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They taunted Jesus while he was on the cross. Well, it is people like this that these Christians were facing. They're dealing with these people who are insulting them, who are putting pressure on them. The world is putting pressure on them and is testing their faith. And so it says at times they were standing side by side with other Christians who were being persecuted. And we do that too. Sometimes it's not just one of us. It's a group of us. This is a strong showing of faithfulness to Christ and to his word. It means coming to another Christian's aid and saying, he or she is not alone. We are not alone. When, when we're being persecuted, when people are insulting us, when people are getting after us, we're not alone. We can stand together. So verse 34 says that these Christians sympathize with those who are in prison. This verse doesn't tell us why these Christians were being put in prison. But it was most likely for preaching the gospel. As we go through scriptures, we read quite often different people who are put in prison for preaching the gospel. We're standing up for the word. And this is something that they went through. However, the Apostle Paul said at the beginning of verse 32, Remember those earlier days. Remember those earlier days. They used to sympathize with people who were put in prison. But they weren't anymore. They stopped. Or they slowed down. They had to be reminded of that. They were so discouraged by persecution that they weren't doing what they were doing in the beginning. They had to be reminded. So most likely discouragement set in. They weren't themselves. That's why he's writing all these things. That's why he's warning them to be careful. Maybe they stopped caring. They were only thinking of themselves now. But they were consumed. So most likely the persecution they were under was discouraging them to the point where they became closed up and withdrawn. And we can do that too. When we feel pressure from people outside in the world, we can get discouraged. We can stop coming for worship. We can stop trying to encourage others. We can stop listening to the word. These things can happen. They stop fighting the good fight. So the Apostle Paul is getting after them and reminding them, remember the excitement and fire you had at the beginning. 
The text also says that they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property because they knew they had better and lasting possessions waiting for them in heaven. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Matthew 6.20. That was the attitude they had. That's not the attitude they have now when Paul is writing to them. And so, the attitude of these Christians at one time was the same as Abraham, who was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, Hebrews 11.10. They had that kind of attitude at the beginning. They don't now. So as for why their property was being confiscated, the writer doesn't give us any indication. We don't know. But it's rather the way that they dealt with it, the attitude they had at that time that he's talking about here. Their faith was so strong that they were not going to let anything shake it. They had their property taken away, and they were okay with it. They gladly accepted it. But now, no, things had changed. Things had changed. Something changed. They needed to be encouraged. So we're fortunate that we don't deal with something like that today. But what if you did? What if your property was taken away from you? What if everything you had was taken away from you? Could you accept that? Would you just give it up without a fight? Would you do it joyfully? Likely not, right? Think about it. Somebody comes along and takes your car. I'm taking your car. Your car's gone. I'm taking your house. I'm taking everything you have. How would you feel? Could you manage? Could you still hold on to your faith and worship God if you lose everything? There's a good question, right? If I had nothing, I lost it all, would I still hang on to my faith? Most people wouldn't let go without a fight. God doesn't want us to hold on to things of this world more than we hang on to God. We need to hang on to God that much more. God has to be first. We have to take hold of God and not let go. Remember, store up treasures for yourselves in heaven. We have better things waiting for us in heaven. Much better things. So, as mentioned before, these Christians joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property, but something changed. They were becoming discouraged. They were slowly losing confidence in the promises and the hope that they had in Jesus and his return. They needed to be reminded. They needed to be reminded to hold on to their faith. And that's what this lesson is about. It's a reminder. We have to hold on to our faith. Take a look at verses 35 and 36 now of Hebrews 10. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So you notice what the Apostle Paul says. To fall away is to throw away the confidence we have in the truth. To throw away the confidence we have in the gospel and the promise that we have that Jesus will return for us. We can't throw that away. That is our hope. That is what we hope in. We know it's going to happen. We have to continue to believe that. The Greek word used and translated as throw away means to cast or fling away as one throws out rubbish, which is of no further use. So the writer was saying, don't throw out your confidence in the truth like it's of no further use to you, as if it were just garbage, something to be forgotten. Don't throw it away. Our confidence and theirs will be richly rewarded, so we need to hang in there. Hang on to that hope and hang on to that faith. We need to persevere, as it says in verse 36. Take a look at verses 37 and verse 38 now. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. The one who shrinks back. We are told that the righteous 
will live by faith as they wait for the coming of Jesus. The world presses hard against us with immorality. It wants us to join in doing what displeases God. Many in the world even want us to stop believing in God, but we can't do that. We're Christians. We need to hold on to our faith. What the world wants to teach us, we must resist. We need to be taught and led by the word of God. This has to lead us. What we read and hear has to lead us, lead our hearts and lead our minds. As the stern warning tells us in verse 38, God won't be pleased if we shrink back. God doesn't want us to do that. We have to hold on to our faith through everything that we face. We need to overcome the world. And we can overcome the world because Jesus overcame the world. We always sing the song, Victory in Jesus. Jesus overcame the world. And he tells us we can too. In John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He tells us we can do it, and we can. He did it. He showed us that it can be done. In verse 38, the writer quoted from the Old Testament. This was a prophecy from the book of Habakkuk. These were Christians who knew the law. They knew the Psalms, they knew the prophets. prophets. So to quote Old Testament prophecy seemed like the best way to remind them that Jesus is the Son of God, and he is going to come back for them. It is a promise. It's a promise to us. Jesus is going to come back for us. But this prophecy came with a warning. God would not be pleased if they turned back to their old ways. And Jesus finds them that way when he comes back. Jesus better not find us doing what we were doing before we became a Christian. We can't go back to that life. We have to turn away from that. The righteous will live by faith. They will believe. They will truly believe. And they won't turn away from the truth. And they won't lose their confidence in it. Verse 39 now. The last verse. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved and are saved. The writer passed from what was threatening to what was encouraging. We are not of those who shrink back. We are those who believe. We are those who are saved. Notice that the writer, the Apostle Paul, included himself in this. He says, we. He says, we are saved. He's trying to encourage them. Imagine a hockey coach telling his team that they can win. He includes himself in it. Come on, guys, we can do this. You know, he's all pumped up. He's all excited. Or maybe an army sergeant. Come on, boys, we can win this war. You know, this is what Paul's doing. He's including himself. We can do this. We are saved. We are not those who shrink back. And so, don't give up now, Paul is saying. Don't give up now. That's what they were doing. Don't do it. So, Paul was telling his listeners that they need to hang on to their faith, have confidence in it, and that's the main message of that section. But how do I know that? Because the very next chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, talks about people who live by faith. The whole chapter. All these people who live by faith, and they showed it by what they did. They lived by faith. So what are some of the ways in which the world challenges us as Christians? How does the world challenge us as Christians? Well, I want to give you just three points. There's so many more, but I'm just going to cover three. The world challenges our morals and our values. The world tells us that getting drunk is okay. God's word tells us that it's not. The world tells us that sorcery and witchcraft is exciting and that it's okay to dabble in it. God's word tells us it, that it is not. It tells us it's not. Both of those examples can be found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 21, and so much more. God's word tells us 
what is right and what is wrong, what our morals and values should be. And we need to follow that. God's morals and values can be read, can be followed, and they don't change. They don't change with the world. They don't change with culture. It is there for us to read and to follow. Second point, the world challenges us by constantly changing its views. The world challenges us by constantly changing its views. Homosexuality used to be frowned upon just 30, 40 years ago, and now it's embraced, even celebrated with parades. So the world changes its views. It flips and flops. But we can't follow the world. We can't change our views because the world does. God does not change, nor does his word. If something was wrong 2,000 years ago, then it's still wrong now in the eyes of God. We have to remember that. Thirdly, the world challenges our right to speak and act as a Christian. Every day it's getting harder and harder to stand as a Christian, isn't it? To be able to speak your mind, your opinion. It's difficult. Have you ever been told that you're narrow-minded because you're a Christian? I have. As Christians, we are being told that we are not very accepting. We're not very inclusive. We have to be politically correct, we're told. Well, these are just a few of the challenges we face as Christians. Challenges to our faith. Things that make it difficult for us to stay true to God and to Christ as Christians. Challenges to our faith. But now, how do we overcome those challenges and more? What are the tools that we can use to overcome the world, to overcome these things? So here are a couple of ideas that I got from uh, one website. I thought they were very good. And then a few of my own that I added in there. So first of all, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. God's word helps us to do that. Put on the armor of God. Grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge. Continue to read the Bible. Study. Learn. The more you know about this, the less the world will affect you because you know where God stands. This will help you. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. These verses tell us about these things, about growing in knowledge. The more we know what the Bible says, the more we know how to make our stand. The next item, pray. This one, this one is obvious, right? We need to pray. We always need to be praying. Praying to God for help with everything. But especially praying to God to help us to stay faithful. It is hard to live in this world with the world pressing against us. But praying helps us. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray unceasingly. Pray without stopping. Constantly be praying. And I want to read this one because I think this one is interesting. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, which is Jesus himself speaking here. And you'll notice what he says. Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So he tells a parable to his disciples to remind them, don't give up, always be praying. Next, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't just take it, fight the good fight. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Says this. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life 
to which you were called when you made when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So fight the good fight of faith. And then Hebrews 10 verse 32 also says the same thing. Then the next point is the one that we saw in the text. Stand side by side. Stand side by side. Stand up for each other. Be there for one another. Strength in numbers. We always hear that expression, right? We are stronger when we are together. We are stronger when we are on the same page together. Next, do what the Lord says. Live by faith. In the entire chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, read it sometime. And you'll, and you'll read about people who live by faith and how faith they're strong was. And so, do what the Lord says. Live by faith. It mentions Noah when he was told to build the ark. He didn't question anything. He just did it. You know, we live by faith by doing, right? And finally, the last one, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Romans 12, verse 21 says this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Peter is trying to encourage the Christians there, and he's telling them, look, don't let that get to you. Let people be as evil as they want. Do good. Overcome evil by good. You won't, be, you won't, be, you won't have that evil seed planted in you. That good will overcome you as well. So it is a way to overcome the world. It's easy to be mean. Think about it. Just try it. It's easy to be mean. Actually, no, don't try it. But it's easy to be mean, right? It is much harder to be good. It is. It takes a lot of work to be good. It takes a lot of work to be patient with people. It takes a lot of work to be loving towards someone who's not very loving towards you. It requires great patience. It requires kindness and a whole lot more. Things that the Bible says we ought to be as Christians. So, the message is hold on to your faith. Don't lose faith. Don't lose your trust in Jesus. Don't lose your trust in the hope that you're hanging on to, that Jesus is going to come back for you. There are good things waiting for you in the next life. And the world is going to press hard on you. And you're going to get discouraged. But hold on to that faith. You'll be richly rewarded for it. If someone here has not, has not obeyed the gospel, has, is not found to be in Christ, now is the time. Now is the time to do that so that you can look forward to good things in the next life so that you can find the help that you need in this life to be able to stand firm against the world that presses on. Please stand as we sing our last song in the morning.